Oh, sorry, for all the children here, I, I presume you're dismissed. Uh, th this is my first time up in the pulpit here preaching, and so the schedule is a little off. Uh, any other announcements that we need to be making? That's okay. Thank you for welcoming my family uh, and myself here this morning. Like Pat said, uh, my name is Nick Clark. Uh, primarily, uh, I'm an ordained minister, and I work over in Warner, New Hampshire. Now, when you think of an ordained minister, normally you think of the guy that's up front preaching all the time. Um, that is not my main role. Uh, the preaching is what I call the, the air war of the gospel ministry. That's the public proclamation. And, and while I am here this morning, this morning bringing the air war of the gospel for us, um, that is not where I generally tend to live in my week. I, I live in what I call the ground war, the territory where there's often skirmishes in life and there's wrestling out of our faith in life. And, and that's the details of where I live. Uh, as the director of North Country Christian Formation, uh, well, North Country Christian Formation exists to serve the local churches in central rural New Hampshire. Uh, we are here to, to help, whether it's helping elder boards, we are here to help whether it's preaching, filling a pulpit, if, if a pastor's on sabbatical or if a pastor's off marrying somebody or if they just get sick or on vacation, that, those are some of the roles, that, but that's still, that's the air war, public proclamation. The ground war of a lot of what I do during the week is I, I work with people walking out their faith, trying to wrestle I might mention it later, but Genesis 32, Jacob is wrestling with God. Now, the word that often gets translated as, as striven, uh, Israel means one who is striven with God. Nick's translation for the rest of us is those who wrestle with God. It, it's, it's Christian, it's God honoring to wrestle with God. And, and it takes a wrestling of our faith to walk out honorably some of the things that God has called us to because it's not always very easy. Another aspect of North Country Christian Formation, and if you were here two years ago, you may have seen my face on a video. Pat and Josh and I made some videos in this little room over here. It was, it was kind of my first introduction to many of you as in, in a broad way. And then we made a second video on Zoom because things with the pandemic progressed. And then if you were here in the springtime, uh, my wife and I, Kate, we actually put on a marriage conference here. So, so you guys actually have had a taste, even though I haven't been here preaching, you've had a taste of what North Country Christian Formation is. And, and some of you didn't know that yet, but you, you've maybe felt it through some little waves here and there. And I, I lay all of that out there because the, the air war is often what people think of, oh, that's the role of the ordained minister. But no, I, I want to posit that, yes, I preach 10 to 12, maybe 15 times a year, but, but I live in the ground war where we are all trying to walk out our faith. Some people need help in, in working through and walking through a premarital process. Some people need some help in, in figuring out how to be engaging with their children or being engaging with their spouse. Some people have issues of grief and loss, and some of us have issues of just there's difficulty and straining and struggling in life. Some of us wrestle with, well, you guys are reading, you guys are working through Job, and I'm going to be jumping into Psalm 77, which is Lamentations. This is life, and this is what the Lord has called my wife and I to. So we are grateful for your partnership here. Uh, we are grateful for the support that you all give to us. If you didn't know this, there are a handful of folks in your church that are coming to our place tomorrow to serve us in, in putting a roof on a barn, and, and that for that, we are just grateful for you all using your gifts. So this morning, I'm going to use a gift that the Lord has entrusted to me, and my wife read Psalm 77. We're going to jump into this psalm. It's a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason I say it's uncomfortable is it's, well, Psalm 23 is memorable. People often quote Psalm 23. This psalm, if you didn't catch it when Kate read it, it's just not that cheerful of a psalm. It starts out gloomy, um, and it kind of in a minor key for those of you who play the piano or instruments, and, and there's not a tremendous movement. The, the psalm kind of abruptly ends, and not a lot has changed by the end of the psalm. Maybe that's starting to sound like your life, because I, I relate with that. This psalm is a bit harder. Some may say, well, it's full of melancholy. But the word that scripture would use to define this and describe this is this is a psalm of lament. 
And as Christians today, we often don't know what to do with lament or suffering or hardship. We, we don't know what to do with psalms like this. So we, so we just move beyond them. We, we don't wrestle deeply with psalms like this. So when, when Pat was telling me you guys are, were working through Job and, and he had known I had spent some time in, in, in the, on this psalm, he asked me to bring it today because we as God's people need to know how to wrestle when difficulty comes our way. But we don't always know what to do with psalms because they were written thousands of years ago. They were written to be a song. Let that sink in. These were written to be a song, but these aren't the types of songs we sing. The Psalms were written to be God's people's songbook. They're also poetry, and they're expressions of a person's heart as they live before God. Psalms are are to teach God's people how we are to live and, and even teach God's people how we are to pray. Some psalms were, were written about the nation of Israel and other psalms were written, well, about an individual and their struggles. This psalm is written by Asaph, I believe about a period of time in his life, but a very particular season where, where he was striving and wrestling with God. This song and prayer of Asaph is an expression of his heart and it's full of tremendous suffering. It's full of sorrow It's full of grief and overwhelm. Almost one-third of all psalms express lament, whether in a a phrase, whether in, in a portion, or whether in its entirety like this psalm. And that tells us that that by example, we are permitted to speak of this. We are permitted to speak of our lament. It's acceptable before God's eyes. One could even easily say, Speaking of lament is even encouraged by God. You might even go so far as to say God has ordained for us and prescribes for us to speak to him as we lament. We, we are to call out to God. God put this psalm in Scripture not on accident but on purpose to tell us, speak to me like this, in this manner. In this psalm, we see Asaph pleading with God. Most psalms are full of emotive language and trying to draw, the, the, the words of the psalmist often try to draw word pictures for us. And they're teaching us, pray this way, engage with God this way. It's being emphatically crystal clear, this psalm is to be a structure. This psalm is to be a guide for us when we lament. God wants to hear from us, his people, when we are in the midst of difficulty. And he wants to remind us it's appropriate to speak with God honestly like Asaph does here. We're forgetful people, so we we need these reminders. That's why God put one third of the Psalms full of lament. If we really are a forgetful people, we shouldn't be surprised, but we are surprised when trouble comes. And when it doesn't leave, it then disorients us. Why, why, why is this suffering still here? God puts a lot of lamentable things in Scripture. There's a book called Lamentations. I know you guys are spending a lot of time in Job. There's lament in Job. And then you have that guy, Jeremiah. His nickname is the weeping prophet. There there is lament on many, many pages. Deep and profound suffering, my friends, disorients us. We're humans. We we get distracted and, and, and suffering draws our attention. But one of the things that that this psalm, I think, will help us with is that we're not alone. And we're not the first people to suffer in the ways that we are suffering. God's people have a history of suffering. They knew the place of suffering in their life. We today have often forgotten the place of suffering in our life. Some people in, in the preparation I, I was doing for the sermon, some people were, were making commentary that suffering and lament is actually at the heart of the Christian story. At the heart of the Christian story is Christ on the cross. And, and what is Christ quoting? Psalm 22, another one of the Psalms of lament. 
This, if, if suffering is at the heart of the Christian story, it's because Christ is the heart of the Christian story. The night before Christ dies, he is, he's crying out to his Father. The, on the cross, he's crying out to his Father. But we, we, we try to avoid suffering. We don't want to walk through it. We want to avoid it. But, but Jesus actually plows a path. And Asaph is, was a precursor of plowing a path to walk through suffering well. So as we turn back into the psalm, please be mindful that it takes faith in Jesus to turn these words of God and to turn to God with these words and to face God with all of what is going on here. It's not to be done lightly. And, and we need the body of Christ to support us when we are in a season of lament like Asaph is here. To be clear, to, if we are to remain silent in the face of what is truly lamentable, that's a form of unbelief. The actions or lack of actions we take declares what we believe. And if we're silent, what we're declaring is, I, I believe God is maybe indifferent or maybe God isn't powerful enough or maybe God isn't strong enough or maybe God isn't listening. My friends, Asaph writes this psalm believing that God is keenly listening to him. And Asaph believing that God is not ignoring what, what is going on in his world. Asaph also doesn't turn inward to despair or pity, but he addresses God directly. If you have your Bible like Kate read before, I want to read for us again verses 1 through 3. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. This is the word of God. Here we have a man crying out to his father. As a father myself, I, I've heard many tears and cries in my household in this last year. I've, I've heard rubbing alcohol entering someone's eye. I heard another one of my children, their, their arm breaking. I, I've heard of Legos getting stepped on. I've heard of toes being stubbed. Th th these are different forms of pain, my friend. And they're all painful, but they all have their distinct cries. And if I, as an earthly father, know the difference between a stubbed toe and rubbing alcohol or, or a Lego and a broken arm, th these are different cries. And if I know them, how much more does our heavenly father, who's paying intimately more attention, how much more does he know them? Yet, yes, there truly are some physical pains that we are walking through. But there's other times where our soul is hurt and crushed and our Father pays attention to that. Asaph knows that God is paying attention to him. That's why he is stretching out his hand. He cries and he knows my cries better than I do. And that's what we're in desperate need for, to turn to the one who knows my cries. And Asaph mentions in verse 1, he's coming to God. He's coming to God as he is. And, and, and he's telling God, this is not how I'm experiencing you. Asaph knows that he's speaking of his current situation. And he's not, I mean, we would say he's, you know, really eloquent. This is in scripture. But, but I presume when Asaph cried out in the ways that he did. He wasn't being all too elegant or polished or stately, but he, he wasn't believing that I need to use these proper words in order for God to hear me. My friends, we, we don't have to have it all together to come before God. We don't have to have just the right words. We serve the God who listens. I mean, that is who he is. He spoke words into creation and he listens. So when we need to cry out, we can rest assured. Asaph here in verse 1 is turning to God. Because we all experience pain. We all experience sorrow and we all experience loss and grief and overwhelm. That's part of what it is to be human. But lament, 
Lament is something distinctly different than just suffering. In order to lament, we must turn to God and talk with God and keep talking with him through the pain. Not a one-time turning, but the continual turning. And that is what is distinctly Christian about lament. It's not about moaning and groaning because I want attention. It's not about moaning and groaning because this is hard, but it's about turning to Jesus because he promises to hear me. Anyone can suffer, but only a Christian can lament because it's turning towards God and staying at the table with God through the suffering. That's what lament is. It's not because you're trying to get God to change. It's not because you think he might not be hearing you so you repeat yourself, but it's because we serve a God who listens and he wants us to speak to him. Jesus says, when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. So maybe we just, we'll move on to verse 2 here and, and consider that, well, in the day of my trouble, maybe you find yourself aware of your own inner suffering in your trouble, in your situation, wondering, can I speak to God in my pain? In my painful world, can I speak to God in this way? If, if, if that's a question that's echoing in your heart, I, I, keep your, I want you to keep your eyes open this morning because this man Asaph is getting ready to fight. He, he wants to be comforted by God. Maybe that's the, in the heart of some of you here today. You want to be comforted by God. Asaph is, is willing to fight to find that comfort. He's willing to engage and wrestle like Jacob was. Wrestle against despair. And, and Jacob even gets to the place of, of physical hand-to-hand combat. And, and we, and Asaph, by example, getting to the place of almost arguing, but not just arguing with God. He's, Asaph is arguing with himself as well so that his sorrow doesn't win out. He's arguing to keep his focus on Christ. Just like Job is going to get to in a number of chapters. I'm not sure what chapter you're on yet. But there is a redeemer. Job, Job knew God was going to have to do something. And, and my friends, that's what I want to point you to. Asaph and Job, they knew. We here today, we know that there is a redeemer. And as we wrestle, let's get our eyes focused on Christ. I don't know the last time you found yourself in lament. But I recall days and, and weeks in my life when I've had to wrestle with God in lament. Sometimes it's out of desperation. Sometimes it's out of need. Sometimes it's just out of suffering. Sometimes it's because I'm hurting. And we don't always have, have someone to share our hurt with. And yes, we serve a God who is always listening. And... This room is full of image bearers. And, and we are to reflect and bear God's image. We are to be reflexive of God. And yes, we are to hear of our brothers and sisters' sufferings and joys and sorrows. My friends, as we go about life this week, please, if you're going through a lamentable season, if you're going through some suffering, not just joys, Speak of them to your brothers and sister. Speak of them because it is honorable to share your grief. It's honorable to share your struggles and joys and delights and pleasures with the Lord and others. That, that is part of what it means to be human, to, to be an image bearer of God. If, if, if God is calling us to do this with him, it's also calling us to do it with our brothers and sisters. And we each have a story. Our story is each uniquely different. And I don't know most of your stories. I know some of the people in this room. And, and I do know, while I don't know your story, I know that God is on the move in your life. And I know that whether it's, it's a joyful or a difficult move, I know that the Lord wants to use that to encourage and build up others. Now, I'm also aware that we're living in New England. And New Englanders tend to, I don't know, 
we don't talk too much about what's going on in our life sometimes, uh, unless it's like something exciting and the, the Patriots are winning. Um, but the reality is, is my, my friends, we are guilty of functioning as mere individuals when we're called to function as a united body. We're, we're called to function as a body that's connected to each other. You, you may be tempted to dismiss what I'm asking of you here because of your unique life situation. Maybe your job, maybe it's your kids, or maybe you're going to say, well, my personality is such that I don't share stuff with people around me. Uh, maybe you're going to say, well, my stage in life is different than the person next to me, so I'm not going to tell them what's going on. I've got a little toe and a nose and an eye, and, and they're all different, but they're all interconnected, and they're all important we New Englanders were guilty of isolating long before COVID showed up. Th that's what it means to, to not function as a body. By definition, we live in New Hampshire, live free or die. Maybe you've heard me say before um, that my modern translation of that is, leave me alone. I'm all good. Back up. It's okay. But that's not what God calls us to. And Asaph got that. Asaph got that he needed God. Asaph got that he could pour out his heart to God. And Asaph, his psalm was recorded by God because God wanted us to walk with Asaph through his journey as well. God meets us in our time of need. Sometimes people need to hear that. We need to be reminded as we walk alongside of our brothers and sisters, God is faithful to them. And sometimes when we're lamenting, we actually hear faithfulness in the other person. And then that encourages us to keep on going. But if we don't share that, then we're losing out on the blessing. They're losing out on the blessing. And none of us are growing as the Lord would want us to. A body is to function as a body and share life with each other, not just joys, but hardships. And if you think I'm asking too much, this is what the early church in Acts 2 and following did. And if it's, if it's how you're living, I'm grateful for that. If it's not how you're living, I, I would actually call you to repent and turn, turn back to Jesus. Now you may say, I, I, Nick, I talk with God about this. What, why are you telling me I need to be telling this stuff with others? Asaph, like I said, shared it with us. He shared his struggles. We, the readers, are welcomed into his struggles, into his suffering. We can engage with God because Asaph shares his struggle. We're like him. If Asaph had not written this down and was just between he and God, we wouldn't have it today. So please don't make that mistake of not sharing your story, not sharing your life with others around you. Hard truths are truly saturated in this psalm. Verse 3 recounts, when I remember God, I moan. Asaph is calling out to God and he's still troubled. He is troubled even as he's calling out to God. And the sort of frankness that Asaph is expressing here, it's not something we, we often see on a Sunday morning. We certainly don't talk about the church where I'm an elder. I mean, it's not a regular thing. I'm, I'm moaning this week. We, we. But it's here within the pages of Scripture. When I meditate, my spirit faints. My friends, our actions make statements about what we believe. Each time we plead with God, our actions are declaring, I am pleading with him because he will listen to me. I am pleading because he will listen, and that's faith. That's faith in action. And Jesus is the one that tells us to come to him in our time of need. I love Hebrews, how the writer of Hebrews says that we have a great high priest that we can turn to in our time of need, and he'll have mercy and compassion and sympathy for us in our time of need. Our God is not aloof, or God is not distant, but he draws close. Maybe you caught that word I, I read. It's at the end of verse 3 and two other times in Scripture. Or two other times in the psalm. The word is selah. 
Oftentimes we don't pay attention to that word. Maybe, is that me? There's feedback. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, th that word selah is, is used 74 times in Scripture. And sometimes we just don't read it because it's off to the right or it's one line down and we're like, what do we do with that? It means pause. There's like a pregnant pause. Like, let's just slow down because this writer is trying to get our attention. Something's about to happen. There's going to be a little shift. And so the shift happens. And we're going to read verses 4 through 9 because he's, he's remembering God. I'm moaning and, my, and I meditate. My spirit faints and... We head into this section and the word says, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, in his anger, shut up his compassion, Selah? We were just ushered in even more deeply. He's no longer just holding his arm out and moaning. He, Asaph is, is drawing closer to God. You can feel Asaph's weariness as I read this. He's, he's troubled. He's so troubled he can't even find the words for his pain. He wants to mutter something. Sometimes in our faith, we, we can't find the words to articulate. And these descriptions, if you can't find the words to articulate, these descriptions may be very comforting for you. They, Asaph gives us a place to identify as God's people, to identify with Scripture and the people of God over time. Now, I realized before I said, it takes faith to speak words of lament. And here I also want to say, for those of us who can't find words, this passage, I hope, would bring some comfort for you, the faithful. It's both speak and when you can't speak, know that God is still attentive to you. Romans 8.26 is clear. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For when we do not know what to pray as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's Romans 8.26. God is clear with us. He will listen to the groanings of our heart and, and he's attentive when we don't even have words to speak. Raw and honest questions of groanings of our soul as we wrestle with darkness, as we struggle with darkness, that's honoring to God. My friends, we can honor God in the midst of our struggle. When words return for Asaph, the psalmist asks, did you, did you catch these questions he asks? Has God forgotten to be favorable? Has God in his anger withheld compassion? Voicing these questions is a way the psalmist is actually acting in faith. Now, those questions don't sound like faithful questions, do they? But, but he's not just throwing these questions out there willy-nilly. He's, he's, he's addressing God. And, and if you're like me, I'll at least speak for myself, I've had questions like this in my life. And sometimes well-meaning people are like, no, don't, don't, don't ask those questions. Don't speak that out loud. They're the questions in my heart. Do I think God can't see them? Do I really think having a father that loves me, a father that calls me to speak to him about what I'm wrestling? Do I, do I really think he's that not attentive? He, he knows what's going on inside of me. Voicing these questions for Asaph and, and sometimes for us is truly an act of faith because he's fighting. He's fighting for contentment. And this is what it looks like to fight. It looks like turning to God not just inward towards ourself, not just towards despair, but he's turning to God. And he's staying at the table with God. To be really clear, this is the type of fighting that meditation is all about. So far, we've come across this word meditation two times, and it's going to come up again in a little bit. 
And this, this meditation that, that Asaph is getting at is not an emptying of himself like it's common in our culture today. He, med, meditation in our world today is, well, empty yourself, think of nothing, and, and you find your place of rest and peace. That's not what Asaph is getting at here. That's not what, what Asaph is calling us to here. Asaph is calling us to a very deliberate, active engagement with God. That's what meditation is according to scripture. It's an active engagement with God. Meditation for the pursuit of not myself, but meditation to be transformed more into the image of Christ, to get our eyes on Christ in the midst of difficulty. So if we make a diligent search of our heart, if we talk to ourselves about the hard truths, if we rehearse and play back in our mind, God's faithful. He's not feeling it right now, but he's faithful. If we play back in our mind what God has declared, that's not focusing on ourself, but that's focusing on God's promises of who God is. And to wrestle with difficult truths in that way, to declare difficult truths, is a very personal matter. And, and, and yes, we are to go first to the Lord with all of this and share it with our brothers and sisters who bear God's image. As we enter this next portion, Psalm, in verses 10 through 15, the writer starts declaring, I will, I will, I will. And that's where, where Asaph begins to wrestle even more deeply. His declarations of I will then launch him into a refrain of you, you, you. Yeah, he's talking to God that way. You, my, my brothers and sisters, like, may that be a cry of your heart that you, that you would turn to God and say, you, I, I need you. Asaph is reminding himself here that God has not changed. He's wrestling in some really deep ways. Verses 10 says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. Asaph doesn't stop. Asaph is, is pouring it out here. And Asaph is looking beyond himself. He's, he's not looking at the here and now. He's not looking for immediate comfort. He's looking to the unseen. Asaph is looking to the eternal. One way to mention that is Asaph repents. Asaph is turning away from himself. Asaph is turning towards the living God. Now I use this word repent purposely and carefully. Sometimes we think of repent as, oh, that thing I did at summer camp when I was 14 years old, I repented that one time, I'm all good. That's not what repent means, my brothers and sisters. Jesus calls us to a life of repentance. Martin Luther got that. He nailed it on the door of the Wittenberg Castle. Thesis number one of the 95 theses. Here's your history lesson for today. Thesis number one says, when Jesus said repent, he meant all of life is to be a life of repentance. Not this one-time thing, but continual turning more to Jesus. So I'm using this word carefully, but I'm using it purposefully because I want all of us to keep on turning to Jesus. Prayer is not just for Asaph. He does it, but it's not just for Asaph. Meditation is not just for Asaph. He does it, but it's not just for him. Repenting is not just for Asaph. The word's not found here, but you see his action. He's turning back to God. I'm not going to focus on myself. I'm going to turn back to God. I'm going to bring to God the things I am wrestling with. That, that is the practice of repentance. He's speaking his fears while being aware of his propensity to turn from God, so he turns back to God. My friends, my favorite song 
is, is, is come thou fountain of every blessing. And if you know it, it has this line of prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God. That's me. That's me. That's Asaph. That's you. We, we, we need this continual turning because we're human. It's a lifelong, not a one-time event, but a lifelong continuation. Our prayer needs to, well, also express some confession. In, 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 in repenting, we also are turning to God and pray. We're to pray in, in similar ways that Asaph does. Let me speak of myself here for a moment. I, in my prayer this past week, have realized more and more my kitchen table at night is where my agenda comes forth more and more. I, I want a particular style of meal, and I'm not talking about the food, but I, I want the meal to be centered around nice conversation. And, and when that doesn't happen, or one kid gets louder, or another kid gets louder, it, it, it riles me up, and then I, then I bark at the kids. <laughs> they're, they're shaking their head, if you wondered. It, I, I will confess that to you all here, because this repenting is not something for just those of us that sit in the chairs. It's, it's for the guy preaching up front. It's, it's for me wrestling with God. God, I am still putting my agenda first. We need to move more towards Jesus. We need to put our agenda down and, and pick up Christ's. And when our prayers include that sort of confession, God, I need help putting my agenda down at my kitchen table on a Tuesday night. Well, that, that, that's all of a sudden really specific, really specifically asking God for help. And, and for my children, maybe, maybe it's a lamentable thing that they keep on experiencing my harshness. That's sad. But my brothers and sisters, that's where we live. And when I act that way, I, I act as if God is not good, God is not kind, and my actions declare daddy's agenda is supposed to win. Repentance is to declare something more true. My dad's agenda is supposed to win, not mine. Asaph is just like us, my friends. God changes us as we begin to see and love Jesus more. It's often slow change. Asaph's in the midst of really slow change here. But God is in the process of renewing our minds and changing our hearts to conform our hearts to his will. I was listening to one of Pat's sermons a couple weeks ago, and he talked about how sometimes our heart needs to catch up with the word of God. Amen to that. Like, my heart needs to catch up. Asaph's heart needs to catch up. God is faithful, and it takes hard, persistent work. Our weaknesses are revealed. Lamenting and suffering, these difficulties reveal our weaknesses. And the psalmist, psalmist here had to cry out to God. If the psalmist, who is teaching us to pray, who is teaching us to sing, is teaching us how to live, is crying out to God, Yes, he knows it's God's usual manner to be faithful and merciful and kind. And he's crying out to God because his heart needs to be reminded of that. The situation hasn't changed. If you've caught that, we're down through verse 15 of a 20-verse psalm, and the situation hasn't been changed. This man's like us. Life is hard. And he wasn't living in some sort of delusion or vacuum. He wasn't limit living in some Hollywood romance story. He was living real life. Our Lord keeps us living real life. There was no immediate relief for Asaph. There's often not immediate relief for us. But Asaph remembers that God, that in God, the goal is not tranquility. God will provide some consolation, but the goal, my friends, is not tranquility. The goal is to be made more into the image of Christ. And that's why we continue to fight, we continue to persevere in calling upon Jesus in the midst of suffering. Sometimes we sigh and complain. 
Other times we're silent and unable to utter words. Sometimes we mutter. Sometimes we stick our hand out. Sometimes we're, we're so disturbed at night we can't even sleep. That's this guy here too. Bank on the truth that, my friends, that God is merciful. He promises to listen and act on our behalf. So when doubts enter your mind, because they enter my mind as well, when I, when I am harassed with cares of my world and feel oppressed and sorrowful, I'm sure most of us will find that in some t- at some point this week. That, that's when we're to repent and turn back to God and say, God, this is hard. Help me not act out a lack of faith towards others, but help me act out towards you. God has changed Asaph, but God himself has not changed. God is long-suffering, slow to wrath, ready to forgive, gracious to the humble. If there's any comfort, please know that if in your suffering, if you think that it's God punishing you, be reminded, he is not punishing you. If you're a follower of Christ, that's impossible because Christ took your punishment on the cross. If, if you're suffering, it's hard God may be trying to redirect or teach us something or move us in a way that otherwise we wouldn't have, but know this for certain. God is not punishing you. That's not why you are suffering. Impossible. Either Christ took your punishment or Christ didn't take your punishment. If he took it, you're his child. If he hasn't taken your punishment, then you're not his. Turn to him today. This portion of the psalm is really a turning point As the writer chooses, Asaph chooses to start thinking and focusing and meditating on the wonderful things God has done in the past. He's trying to look future, but he hasn't gotten there yet. Asaph's trying to get his perspective shifted. And God doesn't ask his children to pretend to be someone they're not. God is not asking us to to be dishonest about our struggles. He encourages us to tell the truth about our distress. That's what Christ does in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he dies. That's what Asaph is doing here. That's what David often does in the Psalms. But we don't stop there. We must remember all of the ways that God has proved himself in the past and what he promises in the future. The memories of God's great deeds, they might give us hope we still need our hearts reoriented. When all seems dark around us, when we're struggling to pick up our foot and walk, let us be people that struggle well. In the day of trouble for Asaph, he wasn't seeking to escape or entertain himself. He, he wasn't busy trying to drink it away or laugh it away. or He wasn't trying to get his healing from God. He wasn't trying to just suffer in silence. He was doing something very different. Asaph was coming, standing, sitting, however you want to picture it, before God. The great physician that wants to hear and heal and forgive us, that's who Asaph was coming to. My soul needs that great physician as well not just from stepping on Legos, not just from broken arms. My soul needs that healing. So on Thursday morning or Tuesday night or Wednesday afternoon, that's where growth actually takes place in your Christian life. I'm I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're here in the Word of God. But the growth doesn't necessarily happen here. Let's walk out our faith. Paul says he pleaded with the Lord three times for his thorn to be removed. My friend, we want our situation changed as well. But sadly, when God doesn't do what we want him to do, sometimes we are the people that get contempt for him. We do our deeds. We expect God to do something. But God is about meeting us in the midst, to walk with us in the midst, and change us in the midst, not changing our situation. Sometimes he does. All of the time he wants to change us. And our present trouble should not make us forget our former comforts in the past, how God has shown up, and the future hope that we have. But like I said before, we are a forgetful people. 
and God is good. So in considering your own soul this week, you might find that suffering is very deep for you and that God is just asking you to keep on turning to him. That's hard. That's why we need one another. That's why we need the ministry of the Spirit. Please don't think I want to make light of your situation, whatever situation you are in. God knows that his people do experience much suffering. And he inspires these words, Psalm 77 words, to be written in the pages of Scripture so that in the midst of our pain, we would call out to him, not sugarcoating it, but pouring out our hearts before him. In the closing portion of the psalm, verses 16 through 20, the writer Asaph recalls for us one of the most epic rescues God ever performed. You may say, Nick, what, what are you talking about? I didn't catch that when we read it the first time. So as I read it again, think about God bringing his people out of Egypt. That's what I believe Asaph is hearkening back to. No doubt as we read this, you might hear of some scary times as God's people were leaving Egypt. They're back up against that great water, the people before them, that dreaded army. Verse 16 says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And the psalm just closed. There's there's no next verse where it all gets resolved, my friends. Suffering is kind of the same way. It doesn't listen to reason. It It doesn't just wait for the next word and it's going to get fixed. Our hearts are longing, just like Asaph's heart was longing for the peace that can only be found in Christ. Our hearts are listening for his voice, not just our brothers and sisters, Our hearts are listening for his voice of a bigger rescue, not a rescue out of Egypt, not a rescue from the wilderness, but a rescue that brings us home to him. Not a rescue to a promised land, not a rescue to a new home, not a rescue of that sort, but a rescue where he brings us to himself. And God is caring for us right here, right now. And he may lead you through some really hard times, some difficult places, a Red Sea type experience, through wandering in the desert, maybe for 40 years. But this psalm challenges us to remember the whole picture. That is that we have a God who though he may seem unseen, as Asaph says here, he is with us now. This psalm gives us a process. We have the space to name our word list times. Asaph gave us those words. And we have words at other points to speak because the words are here. If we can't find the words ourselves, we can turn to the pages of Scripture and say, God, you told me it's okay to talk to you this way. I, I'm, I'm acting out of faith. I, I don't get it. This is hard. Then we can ask some hard questions and we need to ask them with humility. But we, ask, we can ask God hard questions like, are your promises at an end for all time? Have you forgotten to be gracious? Hear the cry of a man behind that in the midst of suffering. That's what God is giving us in this psalm. Because Asaph wants us to remember that God's story of redemption is not yet done. We know the end, but we're living in the not yet. We're not yet there. God wants to give us a clear picture that even in turbulent, stormy times, the path, the road to redemption is clear to God. He is our true shepherd, and he wants to lead us all the way home. You may not have realized in in Kate's reading or my first reading that this really is a Red Sea type thing. 
God rescued his people at the Red Sea. God rescued his people from Egypt. God rescued his people in wandering and brought them to a new land. But once and for all at the cross of Jesus, God rescued us for himself to bring us home. And he is a faithful God. And the writer Asaph is doing all that he can in this situation, in this in this torturous psalm that he's in, living in the midst of to try to get his eyes off of himself. He's wrestling with himself. He's meditating on God. He's asking God. He's engaging God. He's, I use this phrase, staying at the table. Sometimes it's uncomfortable to sit with uncomfortable things, but God wants to stay at the table with us. And like I said, this psalm closes very abruptly. It's not all better. But he is with us. And he does want to offer us comfort in the midst of our suffering. We know that there is a redeemer. We know that there is a future and hope in Christ. That is where I bank my trust. My heart is not always there, but may God move my heart more and more to be there. Let's turn our hearts in prayer. Our Father, we need our heart turned more and more to you. We, I, I need to keep on repenting and turning back to you. You are trustworthy. You are the God who listens. You are the God who is attentive. Help me believe that on Tuesday night, on Wednesday night, on Thursday night of this particular week, For my brothers and sisters here, Jesus, I pray that they would see you as a good God who is attentive to them in the midst of their situation, whether they are well-fed and hungry or living in plenty and want. We don't know what tomorrow brings, but Father, you do. You are good and kind. And your word allows us and guides us to call out to you when it seems like you're not when it seems like you have forgotten to be gracious. Thank you for these words that permit us to speak to you. You are a good father. And we turn to you now, back in song, because we believe you are worthy of praising. Would you tune our hearts more to yourself? Tune our hearts, get our hearts caught up to where the word and where you want us to be. And don't stop, Jesus. Help us, please. Amen.